Oh, it, it's always had all amenities. I've got a TV set, but there's a painting that hangs in front of it. And, um, you know, the bed's in the, inside the piano, and then it folds down, and it's a regular bed. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is Episode 40 with Shorty Robbins. Shorty's tiny house, Nawaka, is full of surprises. It's got a bed that folds up inside of an upright piano. It's got a giant drop-leaf table that was cut in half and bolted to the wall. And there's a big copper sink with a faucet that looks like a pump. Why? This tiny house is disguised to look like it's from the 19th century. Shorty built the house herself over three years of weekends and shares her advice on how she continued making progress in her tiny house even when she didn't know how. Shorty is also a key player in the tiny house festival scene, working with John and Finn Kernahan to organize and run 11 tiny house festivals over the past five years. I hope you'll stick around for this fascinating conversation with Shorty Robbins. It feels like just yesterday that I started the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. In reality, this is episode number 40, and I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm really excited to continue this show in 2019. I have lots of great ideas and lots of exciting guests coming up, but I want to hear from you. How can the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast help you achieve your tiny house dreams in 2019? If you have any feedback for me, including suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear on the show, send me an email, podcast at thetinyhouse.net. Again, that email address is podcast at thetinyhouse.net, and I look forward to hearing from you. All right, I am here with Shorty Robbins. Shorty started her tiny house journey in a tent. Her tiny house, Nawaka, was built to replace the elaborate tent compound she sets up at living history events. The house is designed to replicate a small Victorian cottage, but hides all of the modern amenities as well. As she built her tiny house and learned more about tiny living, she embraced the life and now lives tiny full-time in one century or another. Shorty Robbins, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to definitely talk about some of the unique features of your house because when people tell me that that can't be done in a tiny house I think of your house um, <laughs> yeah. and specifically the piano bed piano bed <laughs> but I thought that we could right start- now <laughs> <laughs> I thought we could just start with um, you know fleshing out your story a little bit more and you know what what brought you to tiny house living and what kind of what was it that really pushed you over the edge to make the jump and like really invest and, and do it? Okay. Um, well, it, it really did start um, on a very rainy reenactment afternoon. And I had about six tents set up and uh, they were soaking wet and the carpets were wet and everything we owned was soaking wet. And I was ready to quit reenacting after 20 years in the hobby. And my daughter-in-law, who reenacts with me, showed me a picture of Jay Schaefer's tumbleweed and said, you know, this little house is on wheels. Why don't you just build something like this and, and bring it instead of a tent? And I was like, oh, wow, I, I could do that. And so I um, 
spent the rest of the very rainy reenacting weekend researching it on my phone. And um, by the end of the weekend, I kind of had a plan in place to build a reenacting tiny house and uh, had started talking to all the other people that I go to events with about, you know, don't you want to build one of these? Let's have a real village. And um, so it just sort of started with that. And then a year later, I took a workshop with Jay and um, got real, real motivated to do it. A couple of the reenactors went and, and uh, um, I'm still the only one that's finished the tiny house, but we have several people now that are in the stages of it in the hobby. And, um, you know, the house was done really before I met any other, too many other tiny houses. I, I knew Andrew Bennett and uh, Cy Englert and, uh, you know, a few other Florida people that I had met at the um, workshop with Jay. But primarily, I, I don't think I knew anybody that was actually living in a tiny house um, until way after I was done with it. And then I started speaking and going to festivals and meeting other tiny house people. And the more time I spent in Nawaka at either festivals or reenactments, the more it, it felt like home. And, um, it just kind of made sense to transition into living in it full time. So it sounds like you built it, not necessarily thinking that you'd be full time. And now you are. I, right. I did not. Um, for example, when I first built it, my bathroom was a chamber pot because that's period accurate. And, you know, reenacting for 20 years, I'd have a chamber pot and I'd empty it at the end of an event. And that was all I needed. So when I started thinking, okay, I'm going to spend more than a weekend at a time in this, I'm going to need a bathroom. So I had to take the space that I had set aside for a chamber pot <laughs> and turn it into a bathroom. So I have a, a wet bath that's a, a toilet and shower combo. And um, it's very tiny. <laughs> very, It's the, probably the smallest bathroom I've seen other than people that just pull out a bucket from under their, you know, counter. And um, so, it, it, you know, that that's probably something I would change if I had planned ahead of time to live in it full time. I, I would probably do a little bit bigger of a, a bathroom area, but, you know, it works. Are there any other things that you had to change about the house as you transitioned to full-time living? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still transitioning to full-time living. I mean, I'm living in it full-time, but it's still a little crowded and I'm working on still getting rid of some of my stuff. Um, you know, I don't think I could put, I put tons of storage space in it, so I don't think I could put any more storage space in it. But um you know, initially it was going to be the outside of the house and I wasn't really going to, the inside was just going to be a cot and, um, you know, a, a, a camp stove. And as I, um, uh, spent more time in it and, and lived in it for longer periods of time, um, the whole interior decorating thing started and then the piano bed happened. And, um, I think one of the biggest changes I've made since I went full time is I did have an ice box. And for the last two years, I've used an ice box for a refrigerator and um, it was great, but I had to buy ice every two or three days and couldn't really have a freezer. And so um, just recently I've invested in two small dorm type um, refrigerators that take about the same space as my ice box did, but they're actual real refrigerators. And, um, 
that's one of the only concessions I've made to, you know, living in it full time. Um, one of the only modern concessions I've made, but I'm going to cover them up and they're going to look like an ice box by the time I'm done with them. Nice. So you, you make it still appear to be period uh, appropriate from the outside, but has some of the amenities that we've, we've grown to enjoy in our homes. Oh, it, it's always had all the amenities. I've got a TV set, but there's a painting that hangs in front of it. And, um, you know, the bed's in the, inside the piano and then it folds down and it's a regular bed. Um, my table, it's a big giant drop leaf table. Um, I just cut it in half and bolted it to the wall. Um, got a big copper sink and my, um, my faucet looks like a pump, but it's a real regular faucet. So, um, everything when you walk in looks period and it doesn't take me very much time to cover up the modern stuff if I'm transitioning into the 19th century. Got it. So let's talk about that piano bed. (laughs) How did you get the idea and how did you then decide to follow through on it? (laughs) Okay, well, um, I've had this piano for about 35 years now. I got it at a garage sale for 30 bucks and I don't know how to play the piano. I just like it as a piece of furniture. And when I had a, I had a 2,500 square foot house and with a separate living room and it was in the living room with pictures on it. And, um, I just really like it. It's real pretty. It's a 1903 walnut with nice carving on the front of it and stuff. And so, um, one of the things I thought about living tiny full time is you don't want to feel like you're depriving yourself and, um, giving up things. And I really didn't want to give up my piano. So I, I was starting to look for different ways to repurpose it and use it in the house, even if it was just going to be um, using the really pretty carved front piece of it. It's an upright piano. Um, you know, maybe I would just use that as something on the wall or part of the wall or something. So I'm just on Pinterest searching for, you know, upright piano and repurposed upright piano and Victorian folding furniture and darn if a piano bed doesn't come up that's 1862 in a museum in Brooklyn and it's a video of these curators in 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 1960s opening this 1860s piano and I was like man I could do that and I had already gutted the piano a long time ago because like I said I don't play so I had already gutted it and turned it into an entertainment center. It had shelves built in it and my CD player and all my CDs were stacked in it and stuff. But the I had never uh, damaged the outside envelope of it. So it still looked like a real piano. The keys had been long gone and everything, but it still looked like a real piano. And um, so I, you know, got brave and cut into it and took three different tries, three different, you know, generations of, um, doing it, but it's a really easy Murphy bed. Now it's a little bit smaller than a double bed, but it's bigger than a twin. And, um, it, it's just, it, it flips open and down in one step and it's just easy. So is, is the mattress folded inside of it or does it just come out flat? It comes out flat. The mattress is, the same size as the piano top to bottom is and the upright piano. So when it flips up, the mattress fills the inside of what would have been where the harp 
of and strings of the piano was. Got it. And so is this your bed that you sleep in or is this yep. an extra? Nope. Okay, so this is the bed. Yeah, this is the bed. The loft is storage. Okay. There is a bed up there, but right now it's covered in stuff. Um, you know, if somebody wanted to come visit, I would have to uncover it and stuff things underneath the house. But um, right now all my my um, uh, change of linens and the extra dog food, cat food, you know, that kind of stuff is all up there in the loft. Things that I don't need to get at very often. Well, I love I love the whole concept of it. And it's it's a great lesson for other people because you know you always hear about people who don't want to get rid of grandma's china or like some kind of thing that isn't really useful but is meaningful and important. And there you do it with a piano, which is not something that that you might consider is possible to take with you into tiny living. It's really funny because it's the first thing people say when they come in. I didn't think it could fit a piano in there. And, and of course, you know, there's always the comments about wasting space with a piano and everything. And so I have pictures of it open on the wall next to it when people come toward the house. So they, they you know, I say, well, it, it's really my bed and um, it's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know everybody thinks I waste space, but it's it serves a good purpose. And, oh, you know, then it leads to great conversations. Um, my, I have other things like my grandparents' dressers. Um, they're like 1920s cherry dressers. And um, they, they, uh, I've repurposed them to make the stairs up to the loft. I turned one of them on its side, the big double um, drawer one that, that was my, my grandfather's low dresser. I turned it on its side and, and took out the shelf and it's a closet. And then the regular dresser that used to be the high one, it's drawers underneath now. And then the upper drawers have made stairs to go up into the loft. And so, um, it's all storage space, but it's also my grandmom's dresser, you know? And so that was kind of nice to be able to repurpose that too. And, um, you know, I've kind of tried to surround myself with stuff that I just didn't want to get rid of. Um, you mentioned the China. So that I still haven't gotten rid of. That's up in somebody's garage and it's actually being held. There's a whole pile of stuff, um, not a whole four or five boxes of stuff that's being held for my granddaughter because, you know, at some point she's going to want it and she may or may not want to continue living tiny. And, um, so I didn't want to get rid of some of the nice family things that I had inherited, but I do have some pieces of broken China, um, from the set. And, and so what I've done is, um, made a countertop for the, of, out of them in my kitchen. And, um, so up at the, in my garden window, it was just plywood up there. And I took, um, this last month as I was moving and took the bro broken pieces of China and laid them in there and then put grout all around them. So I've got a, you know, memories of all the China pieces. And, um, so that's kind of nice too. You know, there's so many ways to not feel like you've, um, cut yourself off from your, your past and your memories, you know, um, and, and you can take things with you. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. So tell me about the, is it a potbelly stove, a wood stove? Yeah. Um, that is the only wasted space in my house, actually. Um, I got, it's a, it originally was a wood stove and um, I bought it on eBay for $41. 
had to drive to New Jersey from Florida to pick it up. But um, fortunately, I got a friend that from high school lives in New Jersey now, and he went and picked it up for me and kept it in his basement for about a year till I got up there. But anyway, it was just and when, then when I got there, it was just perfect because it was tiny. It's it's like half the size of a potbelly stove. And um, so I was so excited and I was sure that's what I would use to heat the house. And it, and bonus, it had been converted to propane. So um, I thought this is great. So I ran a, a propane tank hose from the outside and everything and fired that thing up. And I mean, within literally 30 seconds, it was too hot in the house, at, even on low. Oh, no. It, it, yeah. So uh, it never gets cold enough in Florida for that kind of heat. Sure. So um, I was like, I love this little stove. So I don't use it. I have a mini split that's hidden behind some curtains that I use for heating and air conditioning. Cause really in Florida, that's all we need. And now the hole that I cut in the floor for the propane, um, to come up through is where my solar, um, wires go in and out of the house, <laughs> my solar panels. Nice. And, um, yeah. So, so you, you actually know. disconnected it from the propane. Yeah. yeah. It just sits there. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it. I was actually thinking on that a little bit more this morning because um, I saw Alex talking about um, using Pringles cans for stuff. And my I could probably fit about three Pringles cans down inside that stove and up in the stove pipe. So I'm kind of trying to figure what do I need to store that that I can put in Pringles cans? And put well, you in could my just stove. store extra Pringles, you know, an extra <laughs> supply. True. Yeah. Oh, 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 toilet paper. It, t- toilet paper fit up in the stovepipe. Perfect. <laughs> I could have, you know, enough toilet paper for a year. That's but what anyway, they say. You have to use every yeah. inch of storage space in the tiny house. Yeah. I know. So right now it's it's empty wasted space. And, and when people ask about it, I do say it's the only wasted space in the whole house. But um, I just love it. And it adds to the, the look of the house and the feel of the, the Victorian feel of the house. So um, it's... I don't think it's wasted because it adds joy. Yeah, I would agree. And I, it looks really cool. We'll, we'll link to your website and your social profile so people can see the house. And I, I encourage them to, to do that. Um, I wanted to ask about the actual construction. Um, I was curious how involved you were in the, the building process. Um, a hundred percent. You did it all yourself. <laughs> well, Kind of, sort of. Um, I designed it myself on graph paper. That was actually part of Jay's workshop was to z- design your house. And so I left there with a graph paper design of what I was going to do, I thought, and um, carried that around with me for a while. And then I met some guys that are SIP manufacturers, structural insulated panel system manufacturers in Tampa. And um So they looked at my design and they said, okay, you need to divide this up into four foot sections or something that would, you know, four foot sections and then a little extra piece because mine is 17 and a half feet long. So I've got four, four foot sections and one, you know, 18 inch section. So, um, so I did that and they manufactured the SIP panels from my graph paper blueprint. And, um, we had a build party. I, I did a, um, a thing on Facebook or meetup or something. And, and uh, about 30 people came, some I knew, some I didn't know. Everybody came with drills and tools and, 
<clears throat> and uh, in about three hours, we put up all four walls and um, two roof panels. Wow. And yeah. And the, the guys, the SIP manufacturing guys took my, my beam, which is a 1906 piece of heart pine. And um, they used their um, forklift and put the beam in. Thank goodness. Cause it probably weighs a couple hundred pounds and there's no way we could have done that. And, um, and then I, I took it home <clears throat> And from from that one build day, we we, we built the, like I said about two and a half three hours, had it almost done, and then I kind of did the rest of it on my own, little help from you know the kids and um, a couple friends every once in a while would come up and help, um, but primarily on my own the whole rest of the house um, till we got to the painting and um, caulking um, after I'd put the. The, I've, I used recycled fencing for my siding. And after I'd put that on, I had to caulk in between all of it. And some people came over and we had a caulking party with about 10 people and, um, you know, pizza and beer afterwards. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's kind of been a solo project. And, and um, uh, I had a good friend that came over. She was building a tiny house at the time. And she came over and helped me do my wood floors. And um, that was nice. It helped us, you know. Every time somebody wanted to come by and help, I, I don't ever turn it down. But um, it was mostly myself, nights and weekends. Nice. Yeah, it took about three years. I love that story because, you know, it's it's just another one of like, if Shorty can do it, you can do it. You know, if oh, I can do yeah. it, you can do it. Like three years of nights and weekends, that's like some serious dedication to the cause. Well, you know, again, because I really, until the last... Yeah, six months, year to six months of it, I didn't think I was going to live in it. And, and so it was just, I got the outside done in about a year and it went to its first reenactment. And, and I didn't even have a porch when it went to its first reenactment. Um, and, and, uh, you know, then I got all fired up and got the porch finished and, and, um, then it was just so much fun. I started working on the inside once the outside was finished, but, um, you know, it, 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 there wasn't any deadline, um, you know, because I had a, a job and a house and, and other things going on. So I, I kind of mentally thought I would finish it in two years, but when I, two years came and I wasn't done, it wasn't the end of the world because I didn't have any plans. You just kept so, going. Yeah. So I just kept going and shoot, I still have to do my ceiling and, um, that'll probably happen here fairly shortly because I don't have a storage space anymore for the ceiling uh, that I have. I have um, some beautiful tongue and groove beadboard from an old house in Deland and um, I have to strip it and repaint it and then put it up. And um, it's just under tarps outside the house right now. And so I, I want to move on that one pretty quickly because um, I don't want it to get ruined if it starts raining again. So we're in a pretty dry period of time right now. It's a good time for me to do it over the winter. Your house was one of the first houses that I learned used an aluminum trailer. Yeah. And um, that that saves you a considerable amount of weight, correct? Started off, um, you know, where some people start off with a 3,000-pound trailer. Mine was 1,000 pounds. So, yeah. Wow. It, it, it was, and the sips are lighter, too. 
My whole house weighs 7,500 pounds fully loaded. That's fantastic. So that's, yeah. what do you tow it with? Um, right now, a U-Haul. <laughs> I, I was towing it with a Ford F-250 and it did just fine, but the Ford was um, 17 years old and kind of decided she was done. <laughs> but, um, you know, U-Haul tows it like it's not even there. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've moved it with smaller trucks. I've moved it with F-150s, you know, just to reposition it in the yard and stuff. When we were talking about encouraging people to see your house, they have some other opportunities because you are very involved with tiny house festivals. How did you get involved in in these tiny house festivals? (laughs) Well, um, it started with a tiny talk at a library. Um, and I actually was asked to do a talk and had never seen one. So I, um, there was some people that were going to talk like on the Tuesday before mine was on a Saturday and it was for the Orlando libraries. And so I went to their talk and, um, Pat Dunham was there from, Mm -hmm. um, uh, tiny Tiny advisor. advisor. Yeah. And uh, so we, we listened to her speak and I was sitting next to this couple in the back. And, and so we listened to her speak and then it turned out they were the next speakers that I had come to see. And that was John and Finn Kernahan. And um, so afterwards we talked a little more and they said, Hey, we're doing a festival up in Georgia. Do you want to come? Well, I didn't know anything about festivals and I was totally mistaken and thought it was the one that's in Colorado Springs. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come. That's great. And it turned out it was in Georgia and, and which was much closer. And I went and I had a blast and I said, yeah, let's do one in Florida. And uh, so we, we have kind of all worked on them together and, and have put on 10 or 11 of them now. And we just kind of keep, keep doing them. It's it's an amazing feat of organization, and I encourage anyone listening to check <laughs> out one of those United Tiny House festivals. Um, I'm always blown away by how they come together, and I've only been to a handful. Uh, as you said, they're what eleven or twelve now. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do the one just now in New Orleans because I do have a high schooler who is no longer in virtual school, so we're tied a little bit more to the the, uh, to Northeast Florida for a while. But, um, yeah, um, I forget how many, but I, I think New Orleans might've been the 12th of, uh, of all of them. And yeah, it, it's, it's been an adventure. We've been, um, all up and down the East coast now. And then I know John and Finn have been out to Colorado a couple of times and Texas and some of the bigger ones that I, I don't go that far West yet because I still have a kid in school. In a regular, regular job, kind of, you know, you start running out of vacation time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So it's been a few years of festivals. Do you, have you seen any changes in the tiny house movement kind of based on the festivals? Um, you know, that's hard to say if it's, I think, I think it's tied in with the festivals and, and just a little bit of everything. Um, a couple of changes I've seen, you know, when, when we walked out of Jay's workshop in 2013, maybe, um, I thought there is no way in five years that this will have taken hold. And, and in so many ways it, 
it did so much faster than I thought it would. And I do think the festivals are, are a big part of that, not just our United Tiny House ones, but all of them um, in just spreading awareness. Um, of course, the HGTV shows are, have done a huge thing and, and um, all the different networks. I don't have cable, so I never get to see them until Netflix shows them. Um, but uh, all, all the shows have certainly made a big difference. Um, and, and then one thing that I have noticed kind of funny is, is um, mainstream TV started off by making fun of tiny house um, people. And all of a sudden this last year, it's actually become um, a viable living alternative. Um, there's a couple of shows that I watch that, you know, somebody is living in the backyard in a tiny house and, and it's not odd, you know, and it, it's not a uh, part of a comedy, you know, it's just a, a living choice. And I love that. I, I love to, that, you know, so I think festivals have had a lot to do with it. And, and I think that, you know, the, the shows that, the the tiny house nation and house hunters and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that have led up to it becoming much more acceptable. Um, yeah. You know, when, when I tell people now, you know, cause I mean, I'm in politics, right. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm meeting all kinds of, you know, powerful type people through my job and they think it's fascinating and not at all strange that I live in a tiny house. And so that's kind of cool where five years ago, I never would have told anybody, you know, <laughs> and now you feel like it's not going to make anybody turn their head. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, 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 well, it's, it, yeah, I just came from a big luncheon thing today and we had a big gift exchange and I went and took the smallest gift on the table when my number was called and about 10 people said, yeah, it's because she lives in a tiny house. She has to take a little gift. That's <laughs> great. Ended up being a movie certificate to the AMC theaters. I was so excited. Perfect. Experiences <laughs> yeah. are much better gifts exactly. anyway. Yep. <laughs> Well, just to wrap up the festival thing, I, I think they're great because they have something for everybody. You know, if, if you just think tiny houses are cool and you want to see a few of them, like, great, you're going to see a ton of tiny houses. If you are really interested in tiny living, you're going to meet all these people who are doing it. And people are just so friendly and so willing to share. I, I've never brought my house to a festival and I don't think I could handle having that many people walk through it and ask me questions all day long. Um, you know, that that's funny that, that you say that because as someone, you know, I don't see that as much at our United tiny house festivals because I'm working, but when I go to other people's festivals and I get to show my house, um, it's, I, people say that all the time. Isn't it weird to have all these people come through your house and for me, I know it's different for me than it would be like for you because I built this as an educational tool for living history. And so since it's been built, I've always had people come in and I've always shown them, you know, how people lived in the 1860s. And, and so it wasn't hard, that hard of a transition to open it up at festivals because I was already doing that. But I can totally see how somebody, um, and, and I'm always amazed with the people that come that do live full time. I mean, it's really hard to set your life aside and, and let, you know, 50,000 people tramp through your house. And I've kept a clicker at all between the living histories and the little 
tour things that I do at libraries and our festivals, I've had over 200,000 people come through my house. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I need to re- I need to redo my wood floors. <laughs> They're really showing it. <laughs> well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three resources that helped you along on your tiny house journey? Well, YouTube. Any particular channels on YouTube, people that you like to follow? No, no channel at all. Just searching YouTube. I mean, okay. I am I am 61 years old today. Um, I had Happy to look birthday. up. What a, Wait, is today your birthday? Today is my birthday. Oh my gosh. That's, that's why I chose to do this today. <laughs> but, but so I had to look up what a podcast was when you sent me the email. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm at the beginning of technology. I was, I'm sure using a computer before you were born, but I remember life before that and and certainly life before Al Gore invented the internet so um YouTube and I just get on YouTube and I search it and that's how I found how to put metal roofing on my house that's how I found how to cut a window in sips and to frame a casement window and to build my piano um and you know all that and then Pinterest was another huge thing um, just the resources you can find on Pinterest and then you follow those links. Um, and they usually take you to a YouTube thing. But when I do my tiny talks all the time, I say this house would not have been built without YouTube. And, um, it really was for me, um, because, you know, I started this before a lot of those books were written and before they were widely available. So, um, you know, I, I, I read them now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would have been great to know five years ago. Um, But five years ago, really, uh, the biggest resource I had was YouTube. Fantastic. Well, Shorty Robbins, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to go use that AMC coupon tonight. (laughs) All right. Well, have fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much to Shorty Robbins for being a guest on today's show. You can find the show notes, including links to the resources that Shorty Robbins mentioned, photos of her house, links to her website, all at thetinyhouse.net slash 040. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 040. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you this week by my signature resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the resource that I wish I had when I started planning my tiny house way back in 2011. It's broken down into three main sections, going from the big systems decisions all the way down to the construction decisions to help you plan a tiny house that's right for you. I think there's no better resource to help you get your tiny house started for 2019. So to learn more and get 20% off your order, Go to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY at checkout. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off any package. Finally, I want to hear how this show can help you achieve your tiny house dreams. If you have any suggestions for me, questions you'd like me to answer, or guests that you'd like to hear on the show, I want to hear from you. Send me an email 
podcast at thetinyhouse.net. I can't wait to hear your suggestions. All right, that's all for this week. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.